getting this immune response every time you're eating this food. And, and then that can cause inflammation. So the immune, you're activating your immune system. You're also releasing histamine. And we talked about histamine can also be another thing that triggers migraines. So we're creating this response in our body that we're getting this immune activation, which can be what you're getting the headaches from. So it's really becoming like, I, it really is like becoming this food detective. I don't want you to not enjoy different foods. So what we do when I'm working with people is we really do more of a discovery. So we do food sensitivity testing and we do a discovery where we're trying to find the foods that trigger you. Then once you have those foods, you actually have more food freedom. This is the Made for Living Well podcast hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well lived. Welcome back to the podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and I'm thrilled that you're here. Today, we're going to dive into a little bit more of a specific show, talking about headaches and migraines and your gut health in relation to headaches. Really going to kind of land there in the headache world with a specialist in this area, Dr. Meg Mill, who's a functional medicine practitioner, doctor of pharmacy, and mom of three She specializes in the headache field, hormones, and gut health. Today, she's really filling us in on headaches, what they are, why they're caused, and what you can do to fix it. Now, if you don't struggle with headaches, I totally understand. This might not be the best fit for you, but honestly, it has a lot of great information and just healthifying the whole of who you are. So you're going to want to stay tuned and also learn more about Meg and her work at megmill.com. That's Meg, M-E-G, Mill, M-I-L-L dot com, where you can learn more about her work, her services, sign up for a free consultation, and even check out her headache program that is designed to understand the root cause of your headaches and how to fix it. Again, you can find all of that at megmill.com. Like I mentioned, we're going to dive into hormones, headaches, and a little bit about gut health, all as it relates to why do you get migraines? Where's the root cause and how can we fix that today on the show? And honestly, being a headache sufferer myself or a former headache sufferer, I can attest to the fact that this stuff really works. It might seem bizarre or out of the norm, but it really is a game changer when you understand how your biology is responding to the things that you do and understanding that response is dictating how you feel. We're going to dive into all of that today on the show, but before we get there, I do want to remind you about the upcoming workshop that I have on the psychology of eating. How do you get yourself to do the things that you actually know you should? Inside this four-part workshop, we're going to dive into the pleasure of eating, creating desire, the energy of your thoughts, and how to utilize them, like actually change them without just forcing yourself to think more positively, and really using that to create health instead of consume it. It's going to be a really insightful class where you're going to leave with a lot of practical information and what I believe is a course that can change the way you act out health and actually create it inside of you to live it out today. No more waiting, no more crash dieting, just practical information to live out your everyday life. If you want to learn more about that four-part series, head on over to thelivingwell.com. It's right there on the homepage where you can sign up and join me as I teach us live inside a free community where we're going to work together to really start to create the change. And then you might also have a few other fun things as we dive into spring, which is the perfect time to kind of cleanse your system, to make these changes, and to really start to feel energized. 
You can find all of that at thelivingwell.com, as well as more information on today's show and headaches. So head on over there to join that. But for now, let's welcome Dr. Meg to the show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Meg. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, today I want to talk about headaches and migraines, which is a subject that a lot of people struggle with. I don't know what the statistics are. You probably know how many people struggle with the statistics of headaches and migraines, but it's got to be quite a few. It's a lot. Yes. Yeah. And we have, you know, we have full migraine sufferers that have these chronic cyclical migraines. And then we have, you know, most everyone has had a tension headache at some point. So yeah. <laughs> there's a wide variety of people, but there's a lot of it, particularly women that are sh- struggling a lot often with headaches and migraines. Yeah. I was going to ask, is there a percentage? Do more women struggle with headaches and migraines than men? Yes, definitely. And, and generally more women will struggle with migraines. Um, men, struggle with cluster headaches more. So the difference would be a cluster headache would be, it's almost like a sharp pain where you feel like almost like a knife or a pick could be going into your, to your head at a specific point. And you actually often feel better with movement whenever you have a cluster headache where a migraine, you feel it's more of a throbbing like pain. And you often will have, you have like, uh, auras, you, there's a, mm. a pattern to migraines Mm -hmm. and they can be, you know, up to 72 hours. So they can last a long time and they often will feel better with just laying down and not Mm -hmm. move, not moving. So there's like actually characteristics that go along with it, but what we'll be talking about, we can, can apply to any type of headache or migraine that you, you know, you have. Yeah. So what is the actual mechanism of a headache? I've always wondered like what is happening inside of your body that actually causes the pain? So it's, it depends. There's so many, (laughs) there's so many different things. So, you know, you can have dilation and constriction of blood vessels. You can have hypoglycemia, serotonin levels can actually affect it. You you know, then you can get into tension, headache, dehydration, Mm -hmm. lack of sleep. You can actually have like neck or muscle tension. So it can originate from a lot of different sources, but it's, just actually about connecting the dots for each individual and why they're expressing the pain. So we can even look at something as unrelated that you would suspect to like gut health and actually getting an inflammation or an immune response that can trigger you to actually have a headache. The people aren't putting those connections together. And that's where we work on connecting some of those dots. Yeah. Do you see like themes and men versus themes and women on what those dots or the connection of the dots, like, like hormonal headaches or, you know, women who struggle hormonal headaches, is that not something you see as often in men or are they struggling with hormonal headaches as well? No, definitely hormonal headaches are more common with women. So whenever you get a hormonal headache, most often you're going to, so if you're someone, let's just start there. If you're someone who gets a migraine before your period every month or at time of ovulation every month, and you're getting these regular patterns then you want to look at it and think, could this be hormonal? And the two most common reasons we're getting hormonal migraines is estrogen dominance, or a rapid change in hormones. So when you're close to in that PMS time, right before your period at the end of the luteal phase, the progesterone, your progesterone and your estrogen are both declining, but often your progesterone, it declines faster or is less than your estrogen, leaving you estrogen dominant. And that's often when you get the headache. But what actually I see with my people that I'm working with is that it's not always about this huge amount of estrogen. So estradiol is our main form of estrogen that we're going to measure in the blood. And so you can actually have a normal 
estradiol level and still be getting migraines and think, well, okay, I'm not actually having high estrogen, but it also has to do with how we metabolize estrogen. So you need to metabolize estrogen through your liver and your gut. And if some of those features of the metabolism are off, you can have some regular levels of estrogen, but higher metabolites that are also staying around and causing this migraine. And so you want to be able to make sure that you're clearing your estrogen that we, we work on. You know, I do a lot of testing for yeah. this because we can test the estrogen levels. We can test the metabolites. We can, we can figure out how to make sure that you're clearing the pathways, but, um, when we're just looking at it in general, we want to say like, you want to think of estrogen, like use it and lose it. You want to have enough estrogen so that you have all of the things that you need that are healthy uh, factors of estrogen, but then you need to be able to clear it. And so we need to make sure that we're doing that in order to, to really balance the estrogen progesterone. It's also can be that you just don't have enough progesterone. And yeah. so it's not an estrogen issue at all, but a low progesterone issue. And then we need to look at that a different way. So when we're, we're really looking at the balance of all of your hormones. And often when we get, you know, particularly for women that are getting those cyclical migraines, we balance that and, and it starts to really help these clear up. And, and I see this dramatic decrease in both incidence and severity. So it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. So when we talk about estrogen metabolites, I think this is really important because we often hear of like excess estrogen, but I love how you're saying it's not always the case. Like we blame estrogen for a lot of issues, but estrogen is really important how do we clear that? Like, how can we naturally help our body start to clear the estrogen? Yeah. So you, so cruciferous vegetables are a great place to start. So when you think of cruciferous vegetables, you're going to think of broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, things like that, because, um, you know, this is getting a little technical, but we want our estrogen to go down what we call our CYP1A1 pathway in our liver. And so we want it to have to form this meta the certain metabolite that goes down that pathway. And when it goes down different pathways, we have other pathways in our liver that we can use to metabolize, metabolize estrogen. If we can, you know, those are the ones that aren't going to be cleared. So when we eat cruciferous vegetables, those can help us actually shift our estrogen to go down that CYP1A1 pathway in order to ha have it cleared. So that's a place, that's a great place to start. So just yeah. making sure that you're getting, you know, you think of broccoli as a superfood in so many ways, but in estrogen metabolism, it's there too. Yeah. I've heard of some supplements that are supposed to help detox estrogen metabolites. Do you have, like, are those valid not necessary. I mean, I'm not going to just like throw them out there unless you yeah. <laughs> actually well, so recommend you're, you're them. Or... Like one of the biggest ones is dim. And yeah. so, um, the people, the problem is yeah. that when I'm talking about this, I don't always see high levels of estrogen. So what happens is, you know, if you're listening to this and you think, okay, I have this, I'm going to start dim and I'm going to, you know, shift my pathways. If you don't actually have high estrogen, you're actually going to put yourself symptomatically into another problem because you're lowering your overall estrogen and you may not need to like that may not be just because you have estrogen dominant symptoms so those can be things like the migraine like heavy periods pms symptoms moodiness weight gain you know all these kind of breast tenderness things like that you're thinking okay i fit this estrogen dominant picture but why are you estrogen dominant? And that's what we always have to go back to. Are you estrogen dominant? Because you truly have these high levels of estrogen or are you estrogen dominant because you have low progesterone because you have high metabolism? If you do those things and you take you supplement, you can, I just so often see people start coming to me having tried some of those things because they heard them places and then 
they're putting themselves in a different issue because that's not their true issue. So that's why I say a great place to start is with food because, you know, broccoli isn't going to put you in a place where you're shifting your hormones, Mm -hmm. but it can help you. And, and it has a lot of other nutritional benefits. So it's just a great place to start when you're trying some of these things out. Yeah. That totally makes sense. I mean, progesterone on the flip side is also a really big issue in our country. And I don't think we talk a lot about it, but what are some ways that, or why does progesterone decrease and why, or what can we do to help fix that, to bring that back? Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest, well, there's kind of like two of the biggest reasons. So if you're going into perimenopause, that's one thing because perimenopause, your hormones, your progesterone starts to decrease before your estrogen, leaving you naturally estrogen dominant a lot of the time. Cause that actually, you know, we think of menopause as this like kind of cliff, we fall off around 50 and it actually starts, it can start a decade before, you know, we can have from 35 on, or even, in, you know, in our thirties where we're starting to get this decline of progesterone really before your estrogen's dropping. So that is one thing that just naturally happens that we have to watch. And that's why sometimes people with headaches and migraines can get like with the migraines, particularly can get worse during perimenopause because you're getting this hormonal imbalance. But the other thing that happens is stress. So we're all under a lot of stress, you know, we're go, go, go. We have a like to-do list. We can also have biological stress from inflammation going on in our bodies. And so cortisol, which is our main stress hormone, shares a pathway with progesterone. So they call it a progesterone steal, um, but it's really not stealing the progesterone, but it prior cortisol is higher on our hormonal axis than estrogen. So we have what we call the HPATG axis. So we have the hypothalamus, the pituitary, the adrenals, the thyroid, and then the gonads. So the gonads are your progesterone, your estrogen, things like that but your adrenals are where the cortisol is coming in. So it's a predominant hormone to progesterone. So when you have these high levels of cortisol from high levels of stress, it's actually monopolizing that pathway. And so your progesterone levels are going to drop. And and actually birth control can be another factor because you're telling, yeah. So sometimes people can have drops of natural progesterones from taking synthetic birth control pills too. So what are the differences and symptoms between, because if you have low or low progesterone, but healthy levels of estrogen, that can make you appear high estrogen, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're out of, it's not necessarily that one is high. It's just that progesterone is low. Can you distinguish outside of blood work, the difference between someone who's low progesterone with a normal estrogen level and someone who has higher estrogen and normal progesterone? It's going to be hard to distinguish it's going to be, because, the, because they're the going symptoms to be symptomatically so the same. Over, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really the power of getting your blood tests. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So because you're going to symptomatically be the same. Now, I actually use a urine test because okay. yeah. with urine tests, we can we do five different samples over two days and we can test the metabolite. So sometimes when you just get one blood draw, you're getting just a snapshot and hormones change so often. Yes, right. That you're like you're not seeing all the metabolites and you're just getting that one snapshot. So when we do this, the urine test over a, a period of time where we're getting all these samples, we see an aggregate um, really result. And then we can also see the metabolites more through the urine. Yeah. So there's, there's different ways. I have, you can, you test blood too, that, you know, you can look at different tests, but that's a really good test to be able to see all the whole picture. Yeah. Because like you said, they're constantly changing. So having more than one snapshot of how this is functioning matters. Does testosterone play a role in this picture too, or is it kind of the outlier? 
Yeah. So testosterone. So, so, and then you can even take a step back and look at insulin. So, because insulin can increase testosterone. So that's why like balancing blood sugar is important, you know, really when it comes to hormonal balance, because then testosterone can aromatize into estrogen. So if you have high testosterone levels, sometimes you can actually get more estrogen from testosterone. So there is that it does play a picture in the overall levels of estrogen too, yeah. depending on it. So we need to look at where it's coming from. So it's, it's this picture and then where is your imbalance coming from? And then how do we like manipulate it in order to make you go back into balance? And that's, you know, what I think is fortunate that we're doing now. I think for so many years, it was just like, okay, live like this. Okay. This is like, I'm using quotations, normal, you know, these symptoms and you know, having, having heavy periods, having migraines, having mood swings, having cramping, they're, they're not, they're not normal. They don't have, you don't have to live like that. And now yeah. we're realizing it and taking control of our own bodies and being able to look at some of these things and, and really look at balancing, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so amazing how complex our body is at trying to regulate this homeostatic balance on our behalf all the time. So when we come back to just like hormonal headaches, like if we're just going to start there or migraines, what are a few things that anyone can do to lessen the probability that this could could happen? Of course, first and foremost is, you know, getting things tested, working with a functional medicine practitioner like yourself to do that. But like, is there a few tips that you could give anyone to just manage the system? Yes. So what you, what some things you can do right away are like we talked about. So some of those cruciferous vegetables, but you also want to like, look at your overall load. And uh, we have a uh, products called endocrine disruptors that we're surrounded by all the time. So there's things like BPA, which is in plastic. So one thing you can start with right away is actually taking all those plastic containers that you're storing your food in and switching them to glass, because what happens there's BPA in plastic, which is an endocrine disruptor. Your body sees that as an estrogen. And we also often will put those plastics in the dishwasher and the microwave, which break down the composition structure of the plastic. And that actually can leach more into our foods. So that's an easy switch that just, you know, take some of those plastics, you know, switch them over to glass containers. That can be really helpful. You also can look at your products and look at the, if you go to ewg.org in deep site, that's a great place to start. Mm -hmm. Look at those products, see what you're, what's in your champ. You know, so I, I often say, no, it can feel overwhelming. So I often tell people just switch one out at a time, you know, yeah. just take one product at a time, switch it over. And then that starts to clean up things. So you don't have to go out and really buy like all new makeup, all new hair products. You, you're really making progress at just doing one thing at a time. And then looking at other things like your beef or your, you know, dairy or your, your produce that is fed hormones. So, you know, we're, if we're giving cows, hormones. If we're, you know, eating that, then whatever is given to the product, the animals is coming into us. So you want to look at some of those and really decrease your overall exposure to estrogens and hormones too, that are, can be given to some animals of foods you eat. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think we sometimes miss that. Like even I was looking up how animals are slaughtered, which not to go there, but if they're slaughtered in a high stress state, like when it's chaos and their animals are stressed, the cortisol in the meat is actually high compared to just like a natural processing plant. And I was like, it's like those little things that we don't really think about when we go to understand how is the animal hormonally functioning that's going to affect what we're consuming and then how our body's responding to that. 
crazy. Yes. It's my yeah, And we disassociate up. from it because we yeah. don't want to, we don't want to think about it. We don't pay, you know, it's just like, yeah. okay, I'm buying this in the grocery store, but you do have to think about that because everything that you ingest is having effect on your body. And, mm-hmm. and your skin is a giant mouth. Like everything you're putting on your skin is absorbing into your body too. So sometimes I think we also will think about the foods and we'll take time to maybe, you know, buy organic food and look at these foods, but we're not thinking about what we put on our skin, which yeah. can really affect our hormones too. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels overwhelming at first, like you said, but I feel like once you understand the brands, then you can just repetitively buy those brands, you know, and it, it's, it's hard at, up front, but it does get easier as you go. Yeah. Okay. When we talk about food, so kind of moving on from the hormonal headaches, you said there's other forms of headaches. Now, my brother-in-law was a huge migraine sufferer and years ago he had a food intolerance test done or a food sensitivity test. And he was incredibly sensitive to eggs. And when he stopped consuming eggs, his migraines went away. And so, like you said, there's this gut connection to our brain and to the headaches. Can you start to explain that connection for us? Because again, it could be something like that. That seems so like for him, it's so basic, you know, like he just stays away from egg yolks and he doesn't get migraines. But it's a big deal because his migraines were debilitating. He was he was missing multiple days of work, sometimes weekly, because he couldn't function. And it was just eggs. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> so what's yes. the, the gut-brain connection there that's well, – how is the gut affecting our, our headaches and the health of our, our brain so much? Yeah. So I'm going to take a, a step back because there's okay. when it comes to food, there's two – there's actually two different sort of – patterns that we look at food. So one is food sensitivity. So we'll get into that and how that affects yeah. the gut. And the other one are certain foods that we know are common triggers for everyone potentially that has migraines or headaches. So there are known foods that have studies. So things like that you may not be thinking about that are actually healthy foods that can trigger some people. So we're looking at things that have histamines and those think of those as like fermented foods and even avocados have histamines. You want to try to potentially look at that food group. You want to look at things that have salicylates in them. Those are citrus foods like lemons, oranges, you can look at foods that have MSG, foods that have nitrates, food, you know, those are hot dogs, bacon, MSGs, and a lot of prepared foods, aspartame, dyes. We even have caffeine. Caffeine can help with headaches, but it also can cause rebound headaches. So we look at these food groups and those are foods that trigger people commonly, but not everyone. So it, it gets tricky because you sometimes will find a pattern though. You'll find like every time, if you start to look at some of these foods, you're like your brother-in-law, you'll say that every time I eat lemons, I, you know, I get a migraine within 48 hours and it can occur up to 48 hours later, which makes it a little bit tricky for people too, because it's not like I ate this, bam, I have a migraine. Right. It's like, okay, I ate the lemon. And then the next day I have the migraine. So you still, you're not putting those connections together. So you can start to look at some of these foods and see the connection. So that is where we want to just kind of start to invest. I say we become like a detective. We start to look at like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm starting to pay attention. I write down when I have a migraine, what I ate the day before and, and start to look at some of those patterns. So those are kind of foods we know. Then there's the food sensitivities. And that's what you're talking about with your brother. And that's, brother-in-law and that's unique to each person. So your food sensitivities can show up four to 48 hours after, and they're often nonspecific. So they're, they're things like headaches, migraines, eczema, 
They can be bloating. It can cause constipation. There's all these different things that are exhaustion, achiness that you're not associating necessarily. You're not eating that and getting an allergic reaction, which would be like hives or something right. like that, or even always gut issues. So you're you're not thinking that foods of like mm-hmm. a problem, but it is. And so what it's doing is it's creating these IgG antibodies, mm-hmm. and so you're getting this immune response every time you're eating this food, and and then that can cause inflammation. So the immune you're activating your immune system. You're also releasing histamine. And we talked about histamine can also be another thing that triggers migraines. So we're creating this response in our body that we're getting this immune activation, which can be what you're getting the headaches from. So it's really becoming like, I. it really is like becoming this food detective. I don't want you to not enjoy different foods. So what we do when I'm working with people is we really do more of a discovery So we do food sensitivity testing and we do a discovery where we're trying to find the foods that trigger you. Then once you have those foods, you actually have more food freedom because you identify what foods are bothering you. People do seem to find the pattern and then you can enjoy food without fear of the headaches. It is quite powerful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So is there a linkage to the gut bacteria specifically and the health of that and headaches? I mean, obviously foods and food allergies are affecting our gut bacteria, but is there a linkage there? Yeah. And there's some, well, so when the foods get released, there's also like they can attach to lipopolysaccharides Mm -hmm. um, that are leaking from the gut that are causing inflammation. There are also different gut bacteria that are histamine producing. So each bacteria when we, so when we, it's like almost like the gut is a whole nother, we can have a whole nother podcast. On yeah. Gut health, right. But for sure. it, yes. <laughs> so, but it, you know, all the different bacteria, you want, you want a good, healthy population of, of good commensal yeah. bacteria when that gets wiped out from any types of things, but particularly with people who are suffering from regular headaches, take a lot of pain medication. So Advil, leave those group of NSAID medications often will disrupt your, your gut. So, you know, that affects the lining of your gut. It can affect your microbiome. So you can get this disruption. Then you get this overgrowth of bacteria when that happens. And some of those bacteria can cause other things. One is which of which is releasing histamine producing bacteria. Again, we're talking about histamine being a trigger potentially for migraines. So there's also it's, there's all sorts of different connections that we find. And so really it's about looking into, you know, looking at an individual and saying, okay, look at you. We put all of the dot, we connect all the dots. I, I had like drew a web out one day of all yeah. the things. And we're, and we're almost like, you know, one of the uh, clients I was working with was like, it's like a sliding puzzle. You're sliding all these pieces into place to get it to like click so that this, you really see this amazing change. Yeah. 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 For sure. So when someone has a migraine or a headache, like you said, a lot of times they're treating with pain medications or they're using a lot of it, like the aspirin or Advil or Tylenol to, to function. Is there a better, healthier way to manage headaches outside of that? Or is that what someone does to get through it? So when you feel it coming on, excuse me, I'd suggest taking, drinking a big glass of water, first of all. So you want to make sure you're hydrated because dehydration can actually also be an independent trigger for a headache. So make sure that you're hydrated. And then you also want to try to catch it right away. So you can, I see a lot of people have success with uh, peppermint and lavender oil on your temples. So if you use some essential oils, you can put those on your temples. You can put a cool cloth, lay down, see if you can, I mean, you know, we might be at work, you might not be able to, but see if you can, you know, shut your eyes, 
stay away from the blue light, you know, just really do things to relax yourself, do some deep breathing because we can bring our cortisol levels down. And then you can try something potentially like a curcumin or something that's anti-inflammatory. Now those aren't going to be quite honestly as strong taking something like a curcumin isn't going to have the same effect as an Advil, but what, you know, our goal really is to get it to the point where you're not getting the actually the pain as much. And so it's not to, you know, we're trying to limit them and get them to go away, but we do have them come on. And so doing some of these can actually, if you catch it right away, help you feel much better. Yeah. Is the essential oils just opening up the blood vessels or relaxing them or how are those acting? Yeah. You know what, to be honest with you, I don't know the exact science between the peppermint and the lavender, but I just, I do know that they cause a lot of relief for people. So Uh two most common ones that I see cause really like help with relief. And they're also essential oil companies make the blend too, that really is helpful. Helpful. Yeah. So when we talk about like some of those things, how do you feel about like minerals, like taking a nightly mineral supplement? I mean, like a magnesium, we know that that's a relaxant to the nervous system and it helps the body to function. Like, have you seen any benefit with headache sufferers and mineral consumption? Absolutely. So magnesium is the most common mineral depleted in people that suffer from headaches. Uh So you could just start trying to take a magnesium supplement. Often magnesium glycinate can be helpful for headaches. Um, so taking that, it's a relaxing mineral, but in beyond that, there is me- there are mechanisms that actually associate that depletion of magnesium with the, with the onset of headaches. And so getting that's a, that's really adding like things like pumpkin seeds are high in magnesium, adding foods that are high in magnesium to your diet, you know, getting, taking a supplement, even doing an Epsom salt bath sometimes is relaxing for people and can also help you with magnesium. So that would be the most common mineral depletion I see with regards to headache. So we, so what we want to do is we're looking at that balance. We're looking at pulling out the things that can be triggers and then boosting up the things that are depleted. Right. Right. And like you said, like we're not looking in the middle of a headache to start treating things. This is like a progression that you do all the time to lessen those headaches. It's not like this instantaneous fix, I suppose. Although you probably see that sometimes where you can fix something and instantaneously fix their problems. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's different for everyone. I had like, I like tell the story because it was so interesting to me. I had two sisters come to me on the same day and within two weeks, two to three weeks, this one of them was, you know, they both been having headaches since teenage years continuously, like at least once a week, they've been suffering. They thought it was like part of their life. Their mom had them yeah. within, you know, a couple of weeks. One's like, I've, I can't even believe this. I've never not had a headache. It's gone. They're gone. It's amazing. She's singing all these praises. Just, we were able to get her on the right nutrients supported. And then the other, you know, sister took about three months and she was in the same spot. We cleared them, but it just took her body a little bit longer with all the connections that she had going on individually. So it's really there. It is a personal journey, but putting all these things in place in the right order can make just a huge difference. Yeah. Is there anything under the surface that's like, because I feel like you're either a headache person or you're not a headache person. I don't know if that's, that. there's no science that I have to back that up, but it feels like that. Like you feel like you see these people who suffer from headaches. Like I'm one that has, you know, when I was little, I had migraines and then I would vomit. And then it was like, and I, I feel like, yeah, I've done a lot of things to get myself out of that, but I feel like I have more tendencies to be a headache person than my husband or my sister who like, they never get headaches. So is there is there something that says, yes, we do know 
X, Y, and Z will make someone a headache person or not? So I, yeah, people will come to me and say, well, I have the headache gene. My family has headaches. Yeah. And I was like, well, there's no actual, there's not there's actually no a headache gene. gene. Yeah. However, I'm going to give a big butt though. There are genes that the genetic SNPs that can make you more likely, like you're saying, to be predisposed to headaches. So, yeah. you know, one of those being a, a compromised DAO enzyme. So a DAO enzyme lives in the brush border of your gut and that helps you break down histamine. So you may have a perfectly, and that's another actual connection with gut health, because when your gut health is off, it can also mm-hmm. affect that DAO enzyme. So you want to think of that as a, a histamine. So when we say histamines can cause headaches, yours may be genetically, you may have a SNP that yours just genetically does not work as well as mine. And so that can make you predisposed if you're eating those foods to be, to get a headache where I could eat the same diet and not have a headache. So that's like one, you know, we see SNPs and methyl, you know, MTHFR is a very common genetic variant in methylation in a lot of people. So, you know, we see that we see genetic variants there. So we can look at different genetic variants to say, okay, you know, you could be more likely to get headaches because of these things that are just different in your body. But the great news is that, so listen to this is that we can support you. So because there aren't things like, oh, you have this gene that we just have to accept, they're all processes in their body. So once we really look into them, we can do things that overcome those deficiencies. Yeah. Yeah. It is really incredible what those genetic SNPs and methylation can even show someone. Now, when we look at headaches, and I've always kind of wondered this, um, there, there's a stress response, obviously, to headaches, which means there's also an emotional component that can cause that stress response. Is a headache in some cases part of our freeze response? Like you get so high up on the stress response, we get into that freeze state. Can a headache be associated there that's just literally causing ourselves to freeze? I don't well, know. So so what happens is cortisol mm-hmm. can actually high so so it, it, I call it the chain of pain because there is stress is a like so pain is a biological stressor. And so when we have pain, we're actually putting stress in the body. So even if you don't feel like I'm busy all the time, I'm stressed out, you're in pain. And so you're actually getting more cortisol. So then we get this higher cortisol, which is our stress hormone. And when that happens, we can actually have other mechanisms that happen that can actually increase prostaglandins. And prostaglandins can be um can or prolactin, excuse me, prolactin can in high cortisol can increase prolactin and prolactin can increase your pain sensitivity. Mm -hmm. So we get this increased pain sensitivity then potentially from the stress and this, you know, so it just becomes this cycle. So you get the, the stress increases pain, increases stress, and you can get in this chain of pain. And so what we need to do is we need to actually break that chain of pain. So you can do things to bring down your cortisol levels and get you out of that fight or flight state and learn to be in the parasympathetic nervous system that can make a big impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so critical for so many people because a lot of us just live in that high sympathetic state over and over and over and over again. And it's crazy. Okay. I know we don't have a lot of time, but I wanted to bring up caffeine because you did mention it earlier. And like you said, people sometimes drink caffeine to get rid of headaches, but if they eliminate caffeine, you know, if they, you know, try to go on a caffeine, um, you know, fast or whatever, where they're not consuming it, then you often have people who will say, well, I have a headache because I'm not drinking caffeine. What is caffeine doing? Um, that's 
eliminating those headaches or suppressing them? And why are we getting headaches when we don't have that caffeine? So caffeine narrows the blood vessels that surround your brain. So that when you, um, you know, when it stopped, then the blood vessels enlarge, and this can cause an increase of blood flow around the brain and pressure surrounding the nerves. So it can trigger a withdrawal headache. So it has to do with the narrowing and dilation of the blood vessels in your, in your brain, basically. And so that's why, like, sometimes you're using that as a treatment, even some over the counter medications have that that's part of the treatment, but we also can really get these rebound, you know, problem rebound headaches. So you, and you can think of this, sometimes we see patterns. So sometimes if you're getting the headaches on weekends, you can say like, sometimes people have different routines and you can have your morning coffee every day. And that's your day, your weekly routine when you go to work. And then you're like, oh, I wake up with a headache on Saturdays. Like, oh, you know, and maybe you're like, it's a few hours later and you're not having that same routine. So it, it's sometimes just looking at these patterns in your life and you can, you know, try to cut out caffeine completely. You might get a headache in the process of doing that, but see if that's not this, if you're not getting this like up and down and up and down, like caffeine and withdrawal and caffeine and withdrawal, it's worth a try. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel about caffeine? (laughs) (laughs) Is that like a trick question? I mean, honestly, like, because I think that there's research all across the board that, you know, like when we get into hormone health, some people are like, you know, we need to give up caffeine. We're drinking too much. It's affecting our hormones. But then you have other people who are like, caffeine is a great boost to our energy. I mean, where do you fall on this spectrum? So you, you know, you came on my podcast and we Mm -hmm. talked about the science of pleasure. Yeah. And so I feel like moderation is a good thing. So me personally, I drink a cup of half calf coffee in the morning, just first thing one time a day, because like, it's very pleasurable to me. And I don't want to like, if, if I had to give up that routine, which I've tried, it it makes me sad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like having that one half calf cup of coffee that just makes me feel good and starts my day in a way that is pleasurable is something that is happy for me. So it, and it's not, I'm not getting any symptoms from that, that are caught that are disruptive. So I think you have to look at it at it there. So I think everything in moderate, I think sometimes, yeah, there's, there's some benefits of caffeine potentially in moderation. There are some people that are like, no, never caffeine. Um, but I think you also have to look at yourself. So, you know, are you drinking coffee all through the day? Do you have, you know, like that one in the morning that is, you know, just part of that routine? Do you, you know, how are you consuming it and how is it affecting you? So there's, yeah. there's balance. So I think it's really that balance of what you can do in your life to make your, to bring, bring that to a place where, okay, you're not getting side effects. We all with, we all metabolize. That's another genetic variant. So you and I can metabolize caffeine totally different. So you could have a caffeine like drink and metabolize it really quick. And I could be metabolizing it till tonight. And so you have to look at your own body and when it works for you and when it doesn't and, and really do it in moderation, I guess Uh I would say not sure if that truly answered your question. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really agree with that too. It's like, it's just understanding your body and how you're reacting to it. And I mean, I think that's what we're saying all along, right? It's like, at some point we have to look at our body more than all of the other stuff out there and just start to say, what is working for me? What is affecting me? Be your own detective. Like you said, do your own food discovery. Sometimes that means, you know, getting some help to do that because sometimes it's hard to understand 
what's happening inside of our body and what we're being affected by. So the last question I have is, you know, before we leave, what are a few things that headache sufferers could do in their everyday routine or life that's going to lessen the effect or the chance that they're going to get a headache? I know you've mentioned a few, but if you just have a few few big overarching tips that you like to give most of your clients. Yeah. So I think the two free things that are really easy that you can start doing right now are making sure that you're hydrated. Mm -hmm. A lot of us are dehydrated and you want to make sure you're hydrated, particularly at a cellular level, because you want in, when it comes to headaches, you need to make sure you're actually getting the water absorbed into the cells. And that means sipping it throughout the day. It's not gulping it all at one time because sometimes we can excrete that water. So stay hydrated at a cellular level, make sure, you know, keep that glass of water, that water bottle right by you through the day. So you're continuously are aware and drink enough water. Um, And then another thing you can do is really look at your sleep patterns. So we know there are connections with sleep and, and migraines too. And so are you really getting enough sleep? What quality sleep are you getting? Or, you know, because a lot of us, maybe are you not really prioritizing sleep? And so sometimes we don't even realize we're not, we think like, oh, well, that's just my time at night. I don't want to go to sleep yet. Or, you know, I have this to do, or like, this is my own personal time and we just don't prioritize sleep. So you can just really think about your sleep. And are you getting about seven to eight hours of sleep a night? Are you waking up all through the night? Are you actually feeling rested when you wake up and start to look at some of those things and start to make sure you're trying to prioritize sleep. And those are for like, just two foundational things you can start right now. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, I so appreciate you being on and talking about headaches and migraines today. Where can we learn more about you and your practice? And if anyone suffers from migraines where they can come get help from you? Yeah. So I have a free guide that you can get at helpmyheadaches.com. So those are eight steps. There's action work you can do to get started right away. Um, so just go to helpmyheadaches.com. And um, I also have a program specifically for headaches and migraines, and that is at happinessbeyondheadaches.com. So if you if you're somebody's like, I'm ready to take the next step, you can find out more information there. Um, I have a podcast called A Little Bit Healthier. So we are talking about things you can do every day in your life to live a healthier life. And I'm also on Instagram at Dr. Meg Mill, and my website is um, is just megmill.com, just M-E-G-M-I-L-L.com. So Perfect. thank you so much. I'll link all of that up in the show notes. I so appreciate you being here, Dr. Meg. It's been an honor. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. That was a lot of really great information. For those of you who suffer with headaches or have a kid or a family member who suffers, this is a great resource to come back to, to understand that there is a lot that you can do. You do not have to live at the mercy of your headaches any longer. There are so many simple and practical changes that you can make to start discovering what is your root cause. And once you understand that, then you can make the adequate changes that are going to relieve your headaches. And if you are a headache sufferer, I would recommend you check out Dr. Meg's work over at megmill.com. She has a great headache program, some free consultations, and many other programs and services that could be a benefit to you. So again, find her at megmill.com. I'll link all of this up in the show notes where I also share a little bit more about headaches, my own journey with headaches and what I did to find healing. So you can find all of that at thelivingwell.com. And don't forget to sign up for that four-part workshop over there where we're actually going to create the change that you've been wanting. No more talking, no more gathering information, no more consuming health. I'm gonna teach you how to live it out right now. You can find that at thelivingwell.com. Okay, I'll be back next week with a podcast on creating desire 
and asking the question, like, do you just need to quit health altogether? I'll be back here as we dive into that in the next podcast. I'll see you soon.